0: Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Some of us just need to say that. God, you are good. God, you are good. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of your circumstances, He's a good God. You know the thing the enemy wants to do when he attacks us? And and he closes it in other things. He might, he might make you focus on lack or or need or or the or sickness or whatever. But what he's really doing inadvertently is attacking the goodness of God. If he can get you to doubt the goodness of God then He can have free reign in your mind. But let me tell you today, He's a good God, and He wants to do good, He is good, and He's doing good. He's doing good in your situation. He's working for the good. God makes all things work together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. If you ever wonder, man, how is this situation gonna work out? you love God that's the first question do I love the Lord yes then it's going to work out for the good he's a good God let's just say it God you are good you are good Jesus I just thank you so much for your spirit that you sent down to confirm in us everything that you said while you were on earth that you that Holy Spirit, I thank you that you lead us to all truth. I pray that there are people that are wrestling with things right now in their mind, that that they're they're, they're thinking about the diagnosis, they're thinking about the lack, they're thinking about the different things in their in their family, and, and the enemy's trying to get them to doubt. Well, Lord, I just pray right now that your overwhelming goodness, Holy Spirit, that you remind us, you lead us to the truth that you are a good God. Lord, I praise your name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just have your way today. Every heart, the, the hearts that are far from you, I pray right now that, that they will walk out near to you. The people that are walking through religious practices, I pray that they walk out in a relationship. I pray, Father, right now, those who are dealing with anxiety, Lord, that your overwhelming peace would hit them those who are are processing depression maybe after a loss and they're battling that back Lord that that your peace and your joy would overwhelm them remind them that you are with them that you are good and you do good and that you're working for the good I just praise you Jesus and Father I pray right now that your word will penetrate our hearts your word is so anointed Every word is infallible. Lord Jesus, there is not one error. Lord, your word will tear down strongholds. Your word will break chains. Your word will heal the sick. Lord, your word does what it needs to do. Now, Father, I pray that you will help me to rightly divide your word. I need you, Holy Spirit. Your church needs you, Holy Spirit. They don't need another message. They don't need some more information. We need you. So Lord, I pray that You will help me to say exactly what You would have me to say, no more, no less. In Your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Man, God is God is so so good. Oh. I'm going to tell you a Ford joke. Simply because, I mean, you could insert any car brand, but I just know that there's a lot of Ford owners in this house, and I just like to pick on Ford. So this is a joke. Don't take it serious. I'm just speaking from experience. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Oh, man. So the other day, Amy told me I needed to get more in touch with my feminine side. So I went and rented a Ford. <laughs> oh come on, come on! I'm just joking. It was just any Ford. It was a Ford Mustang. <laughs> if, if you're not laughing, even if you're a Ford person, that that's funny. I don't care who you are. There is this gentleman that um, he uh, he passed away, and he ended up. You know, obviously, he went to heaven, he had a relationship with Jesus, and and when he got up to the pearly gates, um, Peter said, hey, before you can enter, your name's right here in the Lamb's Book of Life, but before you can enter, I need you to spell a word. And he's like, okay, what word? What word do you want me to spell? He's like, love. I mean, he's like, really? Oh, okay, L-O-V-E. You're lucky I spelled that right. I grew up in Arkansas. So. and uh, So Peter's like, come on in. This is not theologically correct. You're not going to find scriptures to back up this joke, okay? Just disclaimer. Well, obviously in glory, there's no time frame. You know, like one second could be the same as a million years. There's no, there's no sun setting. Like, we have time here. But in glory, there's no time frame. He didn't know how much time had gone by, but he was walking along the, the walls of glory. And um, on earth, 30 years went by. 30 years went by and he looks out and he sees his wife at the gates and he looks and she goes, honey, it's me. And he's like, looking around like, he's like, yeah, you remember? And, 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 and she's like, let me in. The gates are locked. And, and he's looking and he's like, where's, where's the apostle Peter? Where, where is this guy? And um, so he walks down. And he's like, I can't let you in. You got to spell a word to get into heaven and she's like okay what word and he looks around and peter's nowhere to be found he goes czechoslovakia (laughs) yeah i know that's that's horrible that's horrible i told my dad she i told my dad he needs to start working on spelling words like hard words i'm like mom's not going to let you in i just want you to know that it's a good thing she doesn't have a lot of say up there um Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Gosh, concentrate. We're we're picking back up in a series that we titled Jesus is greater, and it's a study on Hebrews. And today we're the last message we actually preached in this series is a Pastor Nathan preached, and he talked about Melchizedek, the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And I'm gonna pick up right where he left off. And if you're wondering, like what was that message about, it was in November. So um, I don't blame you if if you don't remember. But it was a great message. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But um, we're picking up at verse 11. I know that he actually covered through this. But we're going to pick up at verse 11. And the title of my message is A New Thing. And it's so interesting how God works everything together. You know what I'm saying? Last week I talked about the conditions for a new thing. And it was a standalone message. I wasn't thinking that it was going to bleed into this. I I quite frankly um, looked at this last year, and then I looked at it again this week after I got done. I'm I'm definitely a person that I might be able to get two or three weeks out unless the Lord lays something on my heart real heavy. But most of the time, I don't look too far ahead in, in in the sense of, like, sermon prep unless the Lord lays it on my heart because I will get confused while I'm speaking, and I will bleed messages together. And so... That's what the Holy Spirit did, though. Last week it bled right into this, which is awesome because only God can do that. Today we're talking about the new thing that the Holy Spirit did through Jesus, and so we are in Hebrews chapter seven, starting in verse eleven. We're going to jump right in. It's uh, we're going all the way through the end of the chapter, so eleven through twenty-eight, and we're going to read this quickly because that's a lot of scripture. But honestly, we need more scripture and less me. So, so if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved perfection, God, the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? Melchizedek was a king, um, the king of peace. He uh, and and so, what happened was. Abraham went and fought a battle. And on the way back from the battle, Melchizedek came out to greet him. And Melchizedek, Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And, and the, earlier in the chapter, it, it talks about this. And But because Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High God, our God, that means Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. And because Levi is a descendant, Levi is the tribe from which the priests come, that means Melchizedek is greater than the priesthood of the law. And and that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to establish here. And and the problem with the priesthood, Aaron Aaron was the first high priest under the law, Moses' brother, they're all from the tribe of Levi, Um, it couldn't achieve perfection. It could only erase your sins up to that point. You offer a sacrifice, your your sins, past to present, forgiven, but it doesn't, it doesn't take care of it. It doesn't achieve perfection. And 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 the priests were faulted people, but God needed to establish a new priesthood. So let's keep going. And if the priesthood is changed. The law must also be changed to permit it. So there are a lot of different opinions here on the Old Testament. All of God's word is inspired. I want to say that. It's all inspired by God. The standard that we are held accountable to as followers of Christ is not the law in the Old Testament. The Bible is very clear in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, that Jesus Christ is the culmination of the law. That means he's the end of it. It doesn't mean that it passes away. The moral law of God still stands, the Ten Commandments, but all the rules and all the all the, the do's and don'ts are fulfilled in Christ. So we're not held to that standard because we can't make it. and And hence this, God had to... Changed the law because he was establishing a new priest. It's not that he changed the existing law. He established a new law in Christ. So let's keep going. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe. Whose members have never served at the altar as priest. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. No, Judah was like the, the kingly tribe. Judah was, Judah was the, tri- the biggest tribe. It wasn't, it wasn't a priestly tribe. Levi was the tribe of priests. Let's keep going. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect. But now, but now, I love when God puts a conjunction junction in there. Because this is a big conjunction. But now, we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Let's just say this together. We have confidence in a better hope through which... We draw near to God. You guys nailed it. That's awesome. The the law of Levi and Aaron and, and Moses had no power to draw us near to God. The priest could not draw you near to God. The sacrificial system could not draw you near to God. But we have a high priest that we can draw near to God through then that was God's whole intention from the start he wanted us to draw near to him he said I will be their God they will be my people and I will make my house among them that's why he put the tabernacle in the middle of the tribes he's always wanted to be near us but the but the condition of us and the condition of him nullified that nearness because we're sinners and he's holy It was like having a relationship with them through a wall. Or if we want to really get theological, through a veil. We couldn't get to the presence of God. So let's keep going. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. Basically, the high priest had a kid that had a kid, that had a kid. And that's why sometimes you had really good high priests, and sometimes you had really bad high priests, or sometimes God would actually kill the high priest because they were so evil. I mean, like, it was, it was bad. It was bad. It was just a bloodline, though. It was just like they were messed up. It was a tribe. But God established a high priest with the oath. And one thing we learned in this, I'm sure you guys remember from back in September when we talk about God's oath, uh, you guys, like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna quote it to you. No, God never breaks His word. When He makes an oath, He makes a covenant that is gonna last forever. And He makes, He makes this new system was established with the oath. Let's keep going. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to Him, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break His vow. You are a priest for because of this oath Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant let's keep going there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office get this, get this but because Jesus lives forever his priesthood lasts forever forever what is a priest? A priest is a mediator between us and God. So what 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 did the priest do? The the priest under the law would go and you would bring your lamb, spotless lamb to them like on Passover. You could do it throughout the year and they would you would you would confess your sins to them. They would have two lambs. They would take and kill one lamb, put that and then then they would let one lamb go. It was a scapegoat so your sin would the sin would fall on this, and this one would get to go free. And then they would slit the, the, the lamb's throat, they would sprinkle the blood on the altar, and then they would cut up the lamb and burn it. And and your your your, your sin would be put on the slam. <laughs> and but before the priest could do this as a mediator, they had to do it for themselves. They had to confess their own sin they would have to make a sacrifice. I would not want to be a priest, man. It would probably smell like iron all the time. They'd be covered in blood all the time. It would be gross, but that's the cost. The Bible says there's no removal of sin without the uh, shedding of blood. So there, there had to be shedding of blood to remove sin, but they would have to make sacrifices for their own. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever, so there's no need for sacrifice anymore. Man, that's 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 so powerful. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those. Who is able? Jesus. Once and forever to save those who come to God through him. How do we come to God? Through him. Through who? Jesus. There's only one way to the Father. And Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father but through me. We have way too many churches that are agreeing. We have way too many Christians that are coming into agreement with things that are heretical, that are not true because they don't hold the Word of God to the faultless standard that it is. There is one way to the Father, there's one way to have relationship, it's through Jesus. He's the one that draws us near to God to save those who come to God through Him. Listen to this. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He lives forever to intercede with God. For who? Those He saves. To save those who come to God through him, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. I don't know, that doesn't get you excited. Your wood's wet. That gets me fired up, and we're going to get into it. 26, it says, he is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. Mm. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made made the perfect high priest forever. Let's just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you are the perfect high priest. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. I have three thoughts for you. The first is Jesus draws us near to God. Jesus draws us near to God. The author of Hebrews says this, but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. We said it together. Because Jesus is a greater high priest, we can have confidence that we can draw near to God. There is intimacy with God to be had. And if you're feeling distant from God, I I need us to pay attention. If you're feeling distant to God, first and foremost, he's not distant from you. We need to understand that right out the gate. Your feelings don't dictate where God is in your life. The Bible says he's near to us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us always. So if you're feeling distant to God, it's not because God has walked away, abandoned, or forsook you. He can't. He loves you too much. What happens, and the reason why we we feel distant from God, because Jesus draws us near to God. That's that's what he does. He always brings us to the Father. The Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus in repentance, and Jesus brings us to the Father. And, and, And the reason why we feel distant to God... It's because of calluses. We get busy. We get busy with all these other things in life. We get busy with the good, the bad, and the ugly. We get busy with good things, parenting. We get busy with bad things, stupid stuff in our life, politics, whatever. We get busy with just day-to-day life. And usually... It's real easy to sacrifice, and, and and this is true with any relationship. When we get busy, we sacrifice relationship. We sacrifice time with kids. We sacrifice time with loved ones. We sacrifice time with whoever. But we sacrifice something. There's always a time sacrifice, and what that does is it gets us calloused. And 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 when you do something over time, it gives it callus. Like for instance, I have big old calluses that sometimes I have to cut off because I lift weights. Like the dumbbells are really rough and I'm glad I have those calluses because it keeps my hands from hurting from the rough grip but the the thing is the calluses can hurt sometimes so but because I do it over and over I have these big calluses on my hand and it, and I, I promise you if you wouldn't shook Randy Tosh's hand he has calluses on his hand because he's a construction worker that like my, my dad had calluses that could put most men's hands like to shame because he swung a hammer for so many years and it like but it's just from repetition and when we get busy we get in this repeated cycle of busyness and then we get calloused to God and we forget And, and and here's the thing if I got calloused in my relationship with Amy and it has happened it hurts our relationship I I don't realize the needs that she has. I'll be going through my day-to-day life, and it, oh, she's over there hurting or or disappointed, and I'm like oblivious, and most husbands are oblivious, but I know this when I'm more attentive to her needs. I notice those things, even though all she wants me to say is, that sucks. Instead of trying to fix it, my, my initial is like, well, let's fix this. This is simple. And... Um, that's never the answer, even though, listen, ladies, we have the answer. Just listen to us. But I know that's not what you guys need. And it hurts our relationship. And, but here, here's the thing with God's relationship with us. The need is never on his side. The need is always on our side, and we get callous to our need for him. God doesn't need us. He wants us, and that's so powerful. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you so much, but the callousness in our hearts makes us forget our need for him. If you're going through a bout with, I don't know, anxiety, depression, different things, maybe that's a, let it, let it be a sign that maybe I need to draw near to God because he'll draw near to you. Maybe it's a sign that there's a callous. Because I know this, when I'm close to Jesus, I have peace that the world can't give. Doesn't mean I don't feel anxiety but it's like the peace overwhelms that anxiety. doesn't mean I don't feel depression from time to time, but I know that I can lean into Jesus and he can bring joy to sorrow because the need is always on my side. Jesus draws us near to God, but if, we're, if we are calloused, we don't see our need for God. If I ignore Amy, I will grow from her and not be aware of her needs or mine for relationship the, the beautiful thing is jesus and god never give us they they never our father never gives us a cold shoulder Jesus never gives us a cold shoulder when we grow callous to him. We just turn to him, and he's just like, yes, I love you. I love you so much. I've been waiting. I can't wait. He never holds anything against us. There's an old saying with women, hell hath no fury. I'm not saying that's true with Amy. I'm just saying it's just a, but with God, it's not like that. It never will be. He just wants a relationship with you. And so I'm just going to give you, just get ready for this. The key to to intimacy with God is this. And then all you have to do is... And then... And that's it. You'll be intimate with God. I'm glad we're all on the same page. I'm glad you guys got that. If you're watching online... If you do those things, you're going to. I'm just joking. There's not a formula to intimacy with God. There's not. But I will say this there are ingredients to intimacy with God. Jesus draws us near to God. That's what Hebrews tells us. We have this hope, and that hope is Jesus, He's the hope of the world. But there are ingredients to intimacy with God, and I, I want And this is not an extensive list. And I'm. And sometimes when, I, I, sometimes I don't like giving list out because, like, then suddenly it's like becomes like a, a religious practice, and I don't want that, okay? But the, here are some ingredients that can foster intimacy with God in your life. Number one, the Bible. If you're feeling distant from Jesus, spend time with Jesus. The Bible is Jesus in book form. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible is Jesus in book form. You want intimacy with Jesus? Go spend time in His Word. Did you know the Bible is the only book where the author sits down with you every time to help you have understanding as you read it. The Holy Spirit sits down with you to lead you to all truth. That's his job. That's what Jesus said. When the Spirit comes, he will lead you to all truth. What is the word of God? It's truth. What, who is Jesus? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He leads you. He gives. There's, the theological term is he brings illumination. He lights up your mind to the word. The Bible, another thing that will foster, another ingredient that will foster intimacy is prayer. Simply talking with God and letting him speak to you, first and foremost, through the word. Like, the number one way God speaks to us, and I've told you guys this, and you guys know this, but it's the word of God. He speaks to us through the word, and sometimes he speaks to us through other people. Or maybe it's those passing thoughts in your head. This week, I was praying, and the Lord said, go read Colossians 3.12. And I did. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was like, like put on your new nature in Christ. You, you are a new creator. It was, it was exactly what I needed. Prayer. Meditation. Meditation is another ingredient that, that can foster, that can help bring intimacy with the Father. And I'm not saying empty, like... Eastern meditation is to empty yourself. And that's not... Here's the thing. When you empty yourself, the enemy is going to fill you up. (laughs) The point of meditation with God isn't to empty yourself. It's to let him fill you up. It's to focus on him. Biblical meditation and Eastern meditation are completely different. The Bible teaches in Psalms 46, 10, be still and know that I'm God. It's to, is to train your thoughts to focus on his truth. That's what biblical meditation looks like. It's, I'm going to focus on his truth. It could be just listening to the word of God. It could be sitting in silence and, and letting the scriptures uh, to, to uh, give life. For me, it's so often the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing, or I have all that I need. Like, it's it's that I focus on that. It's to let him fill me up. It brings you back to Jesus' peace when we meditate on Him. The, an, another ingredient, another ingredient, is fasting. Not fasting just to fast. We don't fast to get something from God. I know we're about to do a church fast, and we're going to have prayer needs. But first and foremost, the reason why we fast is intimacy with God. I want to know the Father. I want to know Jesus. I'm going to deny myself of something so I can supplement that. What I would normally spend, if it's breakfast, this is how this is how I like to fast food. I like fast food as well. But... Um, I like to fast food, and re- I'm not saying you have to. But the reason why I like to fast food is usually there's time slots. I eat breakfast in this time, so since I'm not eating breakfast or lunch, I'm gonna spend that time with the Lord. It's easy for me. Like I'm I'm a simple person. I live life by the kiss motto: first kiss my wife, and then keep it simple, stupid. Those are the kiss models I live by. So like for me, it's like I'm gonna fast lunch. So that time that I would afford for lunch, I would spend in prayer. It's always to bring first intimacy with the Lord, though. It's, it is an ingredient. But I, I'm not telling you have to fast food or anything like that. I'm saying that's, that's me. That's how I quantify it, and it makes it simple for me. This is denying yourself a something to supplement your life with time with God. And it will foster intimacy, not to get something from God, just to know him, Another ingredient, real quick, time with his body. What we are doing right here, and, and here here, pretty soon we're going to be launching some stuff in February, and there's going to be opportunities for more community, and, and it's time with the body of Christ. We need time with each other. We need to come together and celebrate Jesus. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to be praying for one another. And and that fosters intimacy. I can't tell you when I, when I get around honestly, guys, uh, we have a great board at at this church and I, I get encouraged when I when I get around the board because I see wisdom and also um there are men and women of Faith, so like I get around them, and then suddenly my faith is up. I'm encouraged, and, and so we need people, like we need the body, spending time with the body. We need that. Now, the last thing I want to give you is it, another ingredient: is loving and seeing people like Jesus. That will foster intimacy. When you love like Jesus, it fosters in intimacy because it, may, it, it aligns your heart with his. When you see a need and you, you, you see people that are hurting and, and you break for them to the point it compels you to do something, you're going to walk, I've never, I, I, I can tell you, I've never laid hands on the sick or prayed with someone or bought someone's groceries or whatever and walked away and was like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. No, I walk away like, man, I feel awesome, praise God. I walk away saying, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for me to do that. If, because suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm acting like Jesus, being like Jesus to someone who is far from Jesus. Loving people and seeing people, like Jesus, will foster intimacy. But I want to give you this. If the ingredients of intimacy become religious rules, they will no more foster nearness to God than a milkshake will help you lose weight. It won't. If you you start doing these things out of habit, out of religion they're not going to make you closer to God. It won't. It's always out of relationship with the Father. Jesus isn't here to establish a new rule-keeping system. He established a new covenant with the Father that we can have a relationship through Him. He draws us near to the Father. Where the law was powerless to draw us near to God, Jesus draws us near to God through Him. The second thought I want to give you is Jesus's salvation lasts forever. Hebrews 7:25 Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Once and forever. Oh. Are you Pastor Ryan? This is an assembly of God Church. Are you preaching once saved always saved? Eternal security. Are you preaching that doctrine? No. Preaching the word. And that's what it says. There's not an expiration date on your salvation. Someone needs to hear this you can rest in the fact that Jesus holds your salvation. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. The author of Hebrews addresses what probably some of you guys are thinking right now. And we've already talked about it. But for those who have heard the gospel who've accepted Christ and then turned around and denied it. The Bible says there's no more sacrifice left for their sin. What the author is talking about here are people who believe Jesus. They believe that he's a son of God, they believe that he died on the cross for their sins and rose again. They they gave their life to them, but they're still struggling. He's not talking about people who are, they, they said a prayer, but then their life never changed. They never got saved to begin with. You can't tell me you can meet the God of the universe and not change. When you meet Jesus, you change. When you accept him as Lord and Savior, the Bible says you are a born again, person. You are a new creation. You are not who you were. You have to change. It's not because the change is dependent on you. It's all dependent on Jesus. And he's the one that works it. When you truly put your faith in Jesus, you can rest that your salvation is complete in him. It's resting on him. You can't earn it. It's keeping the law can't make you righteous. And we just read it. It couldn't make us righteous. Then breaking the law can't make you unrighteous. Our righteousness is based on what Jesus did. Our salvation is complete in Jesus. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. God never intended for you to strive in your relationship with him. You grow in your relationship, you rest in his salvation. Jesus said, come to me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and and, you will find rest. He says, take my my yoke. He's talking about take, take my teaching upon you for my teachings are easy and my burden is light. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you peace. He wants to walk with you. Some of us, when we hit a rough patch in our relationship and, and we feel far from God, we, like, we think there's something wrong with us. And so suddenly we have to make it up to God. Or, or maybe you fell into temptation and you sinned and you know you sinned and you said, God, forgive me. But then then after you said, God, forgive me, and leaving it at that and you're trying to walk in repentance, you say, no, i got to make this up to God. So I'm going to go read my Bible twice as much or I'm going to go listen to praise and worship music or I'm, I'm going to make it up to you, God. I'm gonna, and God's like, stop. Your salvation is on me, not on you. Quit trying to do works. If you said, God, forgive me, you're forgiven. It's not a constant coming back to Him for your salvation. If anything, our walk with God is constantly coming back to Him in gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not who I was. So I want to keep rejoicing, but I'm not yet who you made me to be, so I'm going to keep repenting. Repentance is walking in a new direction in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's it's coming into agreement with God. It's renewing your mind. It's changing the way you think. You're a son of God or you're a daughter of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're born again. Think of it this way. You're like a Jeep. God's constantly working on you. They say jeeps never die. They just get rebuilt. And that's really, that really is. Sometimes you feel broke down and you're not operating in your purpose. How many of you guys have ever felt broke down in this walk with God? Like, man, I don't feel like I'm doing anything for the kingdom. I feel broke down. If a jeep is broke down and can't run, is it still a Jeep? Yes, that's how we know it's a Jeep. Because the hood's open on it. No, it's still a Jeep. Then the mechanic comes along and works on it, gets it running, gets it down the road. And usually as it's running, you probably have to work on it. But then, it might hit a rough patch. It might start falling apart. The bearings might start going out. I, you know, like the way I'm talking, you might think I'm talking about a Ford. I'm talking about Jeep. And, and guess what? The mechanic has to work on it again. Still a Jeep. That's our walk with God. There are times where we feel like we're killing it for our purpose. Man, we're off roading. We're we're, we're doing, we're following the path. And there's other times where we just can't take a step forward. Doesn't mean that God's given up on you, it means that He's still working on you. So give it some time. Some repairs take time, some processes take time. Sometimes, right now, I have parts coming in for our, our terrain. Sometimes you gotta wait for the parts to come in. So rest. That God's working on you. God hasn't made a mistake with you, and you're not the exception in your relationship with him. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm the only one going through this. No, you're not. You're not the exception. You're not. Jesus is able to once and forever to save and he who began a good work will see it through to completion. And this is the last thought I want to hit you with. Jesus intercedes for those he saves. This is so powerful. The word here for intercede, I'm going to read it to you because I can't. I, don't, I might not have put the definition up there. Oh, yeah, I did. Let's go to the next slide. Intigchano. And here's the thing. None of you guys took Greek. And you don't know if I pronounced it right. I don't know if I pronounced it right. I listen to it a lot. But this is a word in Hebrew that they, like, when the author wrote intercede, this is what they would have had an understanding of. So when we hear intercede, what do you guys think of? Prayer. But, like, specifically to pray for someone, right? Like, so when we hear intercede, we we think, I'm going to pray for someone. Or, I'm interceding for you but the word has so much more weight and we kind of lose it in translation we get part of it but not all of it it means fall in with go to or meet a person especially for purpose of conversation consultation or supplication to pray entreat to make intercession for anyone so when jesus says it says that he lives to intercede for you with the father he doesn't need to make intercession for himself like other faulted high priests. He lives to make intercession for you forever. He lives forever. Too often, we give credit to our enemy way too much. We, we focus on, oh, he's just the accuser of the brethren. He's just, he's, the Bible says that he's standing before God accusing us night and day, and he is. He is. You have a prosecuting attorney before the Father all the time, lifting up every one of your faults. Congratulations, you're guilty. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. It's called justification. And we have a a high priest that is not just our defense attorney. He is our, he's our life and he pleads. And this is so cool because what does it say? It says he lives forever to intercede with God, with God. So as, imagine how defeated our enemy is when he's standing up before the father and he's trying to condemn you. Oh, look at Amy, she did this, this, and this, and or whatever. And God's over there with Jesus interceding, and he's completely ignoring the enemy. Who do you think has more sway? Before our Father, our great high priest, God's only begotten Son, the one who was who got charged and executed for all sin, for all time that's ever been committed, past, present, and future, then was vindicated through the resurrection? Or do you think our accuser has more sway? The Bible says that God is a righteous judge, and if he's already charged Jesus with everything, how can he charge you with it? He can't. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. That's righteousness. That's justification. When who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we had trouble or calamity? Some of us feel like that. Like, man, I'm going through something. God must not love me. That's not true. He loves you. My kids still fall down and get their knees scraped up. Doesn't mean I don't love them. The other day... We were wrestling, and Peyton charged at me. I moved out of the way, and he smacked his head into the wall. He made even a dent. I was like, wow, that was a hard hit. And he started screaming. I was just looking at the wall. I was like, oh, my goodness. And I picked him up. I'm like, you're fine. He's like, oh, I'm okay, Dad. Um, But (laughs) doesn't mean I quit loving him. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No! Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Some translations word it this way. No, despite all these things, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves us. More than a conqueror. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing. Nothing. Someone just say nothing. nothing. Say nothing in all creation. Whatever. Will Will ever. Come on, let's say it again will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. That's good stuff. Satan has no case against you because Jesus is interceding. Jesus' intercession is so much greater than we could have ever imagined. When we think intercession, we think, I'm going to pray for you. Like, for instance, this morning, um, A.J. Jones, he's sick. I'll be praying for him. Intercede for him. I texted him this morning, hey, man, I'm praying for you. And I stopped and I prayed for him. But I'm not sick with him. I'm fine. But remember that definition? It says to fall in with. And someone needs to hear this today. We have a high priest in heaven who loves you so much. And when he makes intercession for you, He intercedes for you as if he were in your shoes. That's how he brings the case before the Father. He intercedes for you as you. He falls in with. If you're going through it, Jesus is putting himself in that scenario when he brings it to the Father. And he says, God, he's he's not just saying, hey, God, I just pray for Priscilla. She's going through blah, 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 blah. He says, God, you don't understand what she's going through. It feels like he puts himself in your shoes as he makes a case before the Father. Because he loves you so much. Why does he do this? He wants to entreat with you. He wants to meet with you. What's, what, can you put the definition back up? For the purpose of conversation, consultation, or supplication. He falls in with you, for you, as you, when he prays. And get this, he doesn't intercede for a future version of you. Sometimes we think that God is always looking for the version of us. A future, a better version. That's not the case. God is looking for you. Right here, right now. Jesus isn't interceding for a future version of you. He's interceding for you. He's pleading for you as you before the Father. He's the only high priest that could do this. God had to completely fulfill the old law, establish a new law through Christ and a new priesthood through Jesus so that we can get to the Father, so that we can become more than conquerors. The Bible teaches that he went through everything we did but didn't sin. So he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows exactly what you're going through. He associates with your need as he prays. We have a Savior, a God, a high priest that is not just in your corner cheering you on. Sometimes we kind of think that God's in your corner cheering you on. No, the body is in your corner. That's why the Bible teaches us we mourn with those who mourn. We don't just feel sorry for those who mourn. We mourn with those who mourn. And we rejoice. We don't just get. We're not just. Oh, that's awesome. We, but we, got, we get. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We put ourselves in their shoes. The body of Christ is supposed to do that. And, and we're not just supposed to be in each other's corner cheering us on, like you know, like that what was it, Mikey from Rocky. Have the towel ready for him when we get out and get come back, oh, did I I knock him down? You know, like, no, we're not so, like, no. We have a high priest that's not just in our corner. We have a high priest that steps into the ring between us and our opponent. And he takes every blow for us. Jesus is the conqueror. What does the Bible say? We're more than conquerors. What does that look like? What does that even mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, I, I honestly, I think about boxing. Think about your favorite boxer. I, I don't even know. Like Mayweather is that? Mayweather. He's a boxer. He's a great boxer too. But think about this. He gets in the ring, and he fights. He fights his opponent. TKOs him, whatever. He's a conqueror. What does the ref do? He might have a eye swelled shut, jaw swollen, he, you know, whatever that looks like, bleeding out of his eyebrow. But the ref walks over, does the 10 count, walks over, holds up the hand of the winning boxer, and he declares him the conqueror, the winner. And then, all the people walk in and hand this guy the check. And, you know, now, like, the checks are crazy high, like $50 million. And he's holding up this check, and he's just smiling, barely standing up after however many rounds he went through. And guess who walks in on the other side of that ring? His wife. His wife walks in, all smiles. Has put, she really dressed up, holding the other end of the check. Didn't do a single thing for it. <laughs> She's smiling. Woo! $50 million. She gets all the benefits of the victory. Who's the who's conqueror? The boxer. Who's more than a conqueror? The wife. She gets all the benefits of what happened in the ring without taking a single blow, without training, without going through the process. We have a high priest that did that for us. Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says we're the bride of Christ. We get all the benefits of him going blow to blow with death and coming out victorious. We get all the benefits of him going through the wilderness and getting tempted in every way we do and yet did not sin. We get all the benefits of his life conquering Life. It's death conquering life. Because we're more than conquerors through Christ. That's why Satan's case against us can't stand. Why do we have to get into the ring with them? As Some of us have been fighting a defeated enemy. As if he's not. He's defeated in your life. And the only reason you're fighting is because we got to go back to Jesus. Stand in his victory. Stand in what he did. We're more than conquerors through Christ. You're not more than conquerors through your own effort. You're going to be defeated every time. You don't have what it takes to defeat the enemy. You don't have the willpower to stand in temptation. You don't have any of that. But in Christ, because he's already done it. He has everything you need. Hey guys, we hope that you enjoyed today's service. If God spoke to you in any way or you would like prayer, you can comment below or connect with us on our website at c1.church. If you have never accepted Jesus into your life, we would love to do that. All you need to do is believe that He is the Son of God, that He rose and died again, and ask Him to forgive your sins. If you have done that, please make sure to let us know. We would love to celebrate you. And if you are not in the area, get you connected to a church that would grow you in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you next week.